Hey everyone, Jeff here from besttechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 75. Today I'm speaking with Andrew Gazdecki, serial entrepreneur and founder at MicroAcquire, a company that helps facilitate acquisitions for buyers and sellers. We discuss what he's learned as a serial entrepreneur, whether entrepreneurs should consider bundling companies, and what M&A looks like in 2021. Enjoy. I'm here with Andrew Gazdecki, I believe. I could be wrong. He refused to tell me prior <laughs> to to starting the recording. Uh, but Andrew is a three-time founder. He sold two companies. And uh, right, he's working on something really cool, new, uh, new right now called MicroAcquire, which we'll talk a lot about today. But Andrew, I, I'm, I'm so, so excited to have you on this episode, especially since I believe we'll be talking a lot about things that we really haven't covered too much, especially in the M&A space and, and things like that on this podcast yet. So that's why uh, I'm, I, for one, am stoked about it. But Andrew, welcome. Let me know how I did on uh, on your last name and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for having me. And um, yeah, for those listening, I wouldn't tell Jeff how to properly pronounce my last <laughs> name until he hit five. And, and you said it perfectly. It's uh, Andrew Gazdecki. My friends call me Gazzo. Nice. Oh, we can do that too if you prefer. Uh, but or we could just do Andrew, or, or we might not even say names since we already introduced each other. <laughs> Whichever one works for you, man. All right, awesome. So, one of the things I like to do when we start off an episode is, is talk. It's kind of get a feel for who we're talking to, what they've done, what are they working on right now. So, Andrew, kind of give us a uh, a little flavor for who you are and what you're working on right now. Yeah, definitely. How far back do you want me um, to go in terms of you how know, far back can you past? remember? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, however, As, you know, how, whatever you think is most relevant, um, you know, to your story, the you know, however you tell it, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. So I would. I'd probably just say I've I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I was kind of that kid selling you know baseball cards. I had an eBay store when I was 16. I have a number of failed ventures um, and a couple of successful ones. And uh, today I'm working on a startup acquisition marketplace, helping entrepreneurs exit their businesses and also working with a lot of really interesting buyers to acquire those companies. Um, but yeah, my story is just really, you know, me kind of carving my own path in, in business, I guess. Um, again, lots of failures along the way and, I think I had some some lucky runs as well, so happy to go more in depth on yeah, that. I mean, so we it sounds like based on what you're saying, we we almost have we have a very kind of similar story. We both got started with our entrepreneurial journey early on. In fact, I started Best Techie this site back when I was 13 years old, and I've been doing okay. it. <laughs> Awesome, man. Uh, thank you. Thank. Uh, it's been quite a journey to get to you know to get where we are right now, and and it, I, I'm looking forward to the the, the further the future journey where it's going to take us. But I totally get what you're saying. And but along the way, I've also done other things, and some failed, you know. And there's a lot of lessons learned from that. And I can say even even to date, looking back at those failures, I I don't regret any single one of them. Um, curious about you how, how do you feel about you know the things that you tried that just you didn't that you failed yeah i think you know sometimes you learn the most from the things that don't work out um like one of the most relevant ones for me was 
you know, definitely my earlier ventures where I would kind of just start stuff and then I just wouldn't necessarily finish it. Mm. And so, or another example I'll give, I actually interned at um, a startup in college. This was, this is probably my biggest lesson I've learned from a failure. Um, not a bit of personal failure, but somewhat. So I was, I was involved in this startup uh, my sophomore year in college, and we were working to make student rentals easier to find for college students. They had raised about $25,000, and they just kept spending a lot on feature development, thinking this next feature was going to help take their startup to the next, next level. level. Yep. <laughs> it, it like burned something in me. I literally remember, and now the founder actually is, you know, running a literally a billion dollar company. Um, I won't, I won't say who he is, but if he listens to this podcast, he'll <laughs> um, but that I, I just saw it happening. And, you know, I mentioned a few things. And when I say intern, it was really like me, the other founder in a room, just like the size of this. So yeah. Wasn't really like in their early, early days. <laughs> yeah. It didn't work out. But, um, after that I, I started, um, a job board that connected mobile developers and businesses. And I just had this like experience of seeing, you know, too much money being spent in the wrong areas. So I was always very thoughtful of how I, um, use capital. So I spent maybe like three grand to build that business and, um, actually sold that business to start what ended up becoming a company called business apps. Um, and the short story of that business, it was a do-it-yourself mobile app builder. We ended up making more mobile apps than any other company in the world, which I think is true, but um, I'll claim it anyways. And uh, We'll give it to yeah, you for only, now. Yeah, <laughs> only raised 100000 for that and uh, grew it to about um, you know over $10 million in annual recurring revenue. But it was that story or that experience of seeing, you know, when you have money, it's so easy to spend Um and, you know, being really smart with, you know, how you spend finances or when you raise investment, how you spend that capital and making sure that you stretch it as long as possible is, is crucial. So that's that's one thing that that comes to mind. Absolutely. And I, you hit on a lot of really interesting points right there. One, the first all I want to just uh, hit on is the the fact that companies can find themselves often chasing features in the hope that that feature will result in the breakthrough of, you know, customers and users that they're looking for. When oftentimes it, that's not the best way of going about it. <laughs> yeah. Now, and, and it's tempting too, because yeah. sometimes you don't know what, you know, you feel like if you only had this extra feature set, or if you only had, you know, these few things, and it's so important to really, you know, distinguish what's needed and what's nice to have. Yeah. You know, what's, what's a vitamin and what's a, what's a pain pill for your customers. And that again was really ingrained in me, um, from that experience. And yeah, I see a lot of founders, um, you know, making that mistake, but luckily with, you know, content like yours and, you know, all the other wealth of information, I think other people are starting to learn from those mistakes, but it, it's, it's common and it's even tempting for me today. I even do it today with, with microquire, I think. You know, it'd be great to have XYZ feature, but, you know, being like really, really thoughtful on how you think about feature development and definitely how you deploy capital is, is critical to how far you can take your company. Uh, oh, yeah. I feel like we could spend a whole episode just talking about 
that. I could tell you a ton of times where I've built stuff that I shouldn't have as well. So, <laughs> you know, it's we'll have to have you come back to talk more about that for sure. You can learn from it and then also continue to, you know, find yourself, you know, making the mistake over and over and over. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the other things um, that I wanted to bring up was essentially the fact that we, you mentioned that you launched micro acquire less than a year ago. Uh, yep. and, 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 and it's a marketplace for, to buy, uh, and sell businesses. Uh, what kind, first of all, what kind of businesses should, uh, pe- people who are looking to buy expect to find there and, and what kind of businesses are selling there? Yeah. Good question. So mostly, mostly SaaS businesses. So software as a service, I've seen, E-commerce companies sell, I've seen direct-to-consumer companies sell, communities, also other marketplaces. It's predominantly SaaS. And the market that I'm looking to serve is really micro SaaS or smaller end startups or for all intents and purposes, small businesses. The ideal fits on MicroAcquire are usually ones that, you know, are bootstrapped. They haven't raised any money from investors. They're growing at a reasonable rate or they're um, profitable. And the problem with those companies when it comes to a liquidity event or being acquired is there's really not that much optionality. What I mean by that is for a large company, like when you read about you know Slack being acquired by Salesforce, that's called a strategic acquisition. Right. Those are really hard to get done and they usually take a long period of time. Um, and for smaller startups, it usually not all the time, but most of the time for a large company to buy a smaller company, it's just as much work as if the company was 10 times as big. So they're going to look for the biggest company in that category if they're going to acquire that company. Um, so that makes strategic acquisitions really hard for smaller startups. And then from a financial perspective, if you're looking at financial buyers, that would be typically private equity and uh, let's call it second time entrepreneurs, um, whomever you typically work with a broker or an investment banker. And when you're selling a company for, you know, less than a few million dollars and the broker banker is charging a commission, sometimes there's just not enough um, commission to be made on those businesses. So brokers or bankers won't even work with them. So that's kind of the void in the marketplace that MicroQuire also fills is it just connects buyers and sellers with businesses that you just normally wouldn't come across um, for sale. Now, one of the interesting things that I wanted to ask you about this, are you seeing or do you believe there's going to be some kind of trend where larger companies start coming to MicroAcquire looking for like tools that they can incorporate into their into their tool sets or like like spin off like spin off products or, or feature enhancements that they can make to their existing products? Is are you seeing that or is that is that something you kind of foresee or no? Yeah, I wish I can say names of some of the buyers on MicroCard, but some of them are like public companies. Some are, you know, interesting founders looking at a lot of different companies. So I do expect that um, trend to, to grow in terms of just larger companies being more acquisitive, meaning they see a product or service or even a team that would be complementary to their existing business. You know, acquiring that at, you know, a reasonable cost can be a win for both the founders and the larger company. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've seen, you know, some really interesting people sign up on microfire. Some people where I'm like, okay, this is cool. I'm a fan of your company. <laughs> you know, I don't want to get, you know, kind of fanboy on the person, but uh, there's been some, you know, interesting people sign up for sure. So that's kind of how it is when I see that. cool people sign up for my new, like people like with, you know, for my newsletter or something. <laughs> it's like, whoa, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a huge startup fan. I'm like, if there was like baseball cards for startups, I would literally you know, collect you... them. So some founders have signed up where I'm like, I've literally, you know, admired your work for the last like decade. Like, mm. this is really cool. I'm glad you're signed up. Um, so I, to answer your question, yeah, I definitely can see that um, that trend kind of accelerating just because Microcore makes it so easy to connect with these founders. And previously it was just, you know, weird dance that founders would do with strategic companies where they're for sale, they're not for sale, like right. only if the price is right. And now that um, there's a marketplace where you can, you know, privately list your company and have conversations um, privately without, you know, broadcasting it to the world and being able to do it, you know, in just 30 minutes to get live on the marketplace. Um, yeah, those opportunities are just going to accelerate for sure. Definitely. So, I have a, before we move on to the next question, which is, uh, you know, what should what are people who business uh, business owners who are looking to sell uh, their prod uh, their their business on, um, excuse me, micro uh, micro acquire, um, what should they have in order? You know, like especially like, are you seeing and and the the are you seeing like side projects that were built that are kind of turned into more than maybe what one 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 guy or one woman can can do and they're like maybe i should just sell this type of thing or like you know and and if that's the case what should they have in order uh when, when yeah listing? no good question so it it depends on the company size if you're doing you know over a million in revenue you definitely want to have like good accounting principles you want to have a you know 36 month PL ideally um also just you know, making sure that you have a good business is kind of probably the most important part. That's really mm-hmm. obvious yeah. to say. Um, but just having enough information for buyers to review quickly to show them that you are serious is probably my first recommendation. Um, it's not always necessary. The quality of the business typically will come first. Buyers will get, you know, all the information they need if you have like a really, really good business. But um, yeah, if you're a larger business, you know, the more information you can provide to buyers in terms of your financials, showing that you're a healthy business, um, you are profitable. This is kind of, and then also having a, an understanding of how to value your company is important as well. Um, and then on the, on the smaller side, it, again, it really depends on, on the company, but really just, you know, being open with with buyers in terms of what your expectations are and why you're looking to sell, I think is really important. I think that's probably the main thing I typically ask founders is why are you looking to sell? So understanding that aspect, I think can be, you know, really important because that's usually the question that all buyers are asking is if it's a great business, why are you selling it? If it's, you know, a side project, why are you selling it? Are you moving on to something else? Um, You know, having like those items, long story short, just, you know, proper bookkeeping, um, you know, when you do go to sell your company, make sure you, you know, focus on continuing to grow if you are, so you have, you know, a quality company and that increases the optionality of buyers. 
Um, and then just understanding, you know, why are you looking to sell? Are you looking to move on to something else? Are you willing to stay in the company? Um, you know, having those things thought out before you start talking with buyers um, can can really accelerate depending on your situation. Interesting. One, I'm curious though, if if when you ask when you ask a, another founder why are you looking to sell, what 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 are some red flags and what are some like acceptable answers in your in your book? I'll start with the red flags. <laughs> I mean the the main one is you know exploring options or something like that, which is fine. But you know when buyers are looking at a lot of businesses, if they feel that you're not serious about actually selling your business. You're kind of wasting everyone's time, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but buyers are typically looking at more than one business. So, you know, being really clear that, Hey, I'm looking to move on to something else. Um, or we've grown a business to a certain point where we feel like this is a good opportunity to, you know, pass it on to someone else. Um, you know, there's, there's really no like, major red flags that come to mind aside from just, you know, I'm testing out the market or, you know, I just want to hear what buyers say. That's probably the main one. Mm-hmm. Um, but good reasons are, you know, you've grown the company to a point that, you know, maybe you need some new expertise to come in. You're already working on something else. That's by far the most common one. Like literally probably 70% of the founders I talk to are usually already working on something else. And so this capital is going to be used to grow their next business, which I think is the most awesome thing. So they built something yeah. great. You know, they grew to a point where, you know, they just lost interest or they didn't know how to grow further, started working on something else that's growing faster. And so they sell the first company to, you know, put more capital into their new business that they're more excited about. I love those situations. Um, you know, it's really anything and everything. It's kind of like selling a home, you know, it could be, you know, really personal reasons or just, you know, professional changes that's happening in their lives. Definitely. So on a very, on a a similar level, uh, we were just talking about, you know, selling, but what about the people who were buying, right? So entrepreneurs who either, let's say, want to start a business, um, but, you know, they're also weighing the, the options of, maybe buying something on microacquire and going out versus going out and starting their own thing from scratch. Uh, I'm wondering a, if you're seeing that happen yet and B um, what your thoughts are on, you know, kind of building verse from scratch versus kind of, in, you know, acquiring and then building from there. Yeah. I think what's really cool that's happened in, probably the last year or two is there's there's been a lot of really public figures that have you know really shown these really successful stories or shared these successful stories of how you can buy companies and you know really grow a portfolio and become very successful and that's been interesting to see and i think that sparked a lot of people's interest in buying um smaller SaaS companies and the reason really why you're buying a company is you're buying product market fit so when you start at day one, you kind of have to, you know, I call it like eating glass for two years where you just kind of grow really slowly and you're begging customers to sign up, you're fixing bugs. Some people love doing that. Some people, I call it the zero to one stage. Yeah. So some people love that stage and they love innovating. They love pioneering an industry, um, but it's it's tough. 
it's very, very tough. Acting tough. I started, um, you know, multiple companies myself. So for some founders, typically buyers that might require, you know, second time entrepreneurs, they've kind of already gone through that period of, you know, growing a company from the ground and they want to kind of jump in when they feel like their expertise can really accelerate the business um, faster than starting um, from just scratch. So yeah, buyers are coming in and they're realizing one, this is a profitable way to um, basically invest their time and their capital and save them potentially two years, you know, going through that, you know, dreadful period that's, you know, arguably more risky too, because if you're bringing a new product to market, it doesn't always work. Right. So that's really what you're buying when you buy a company is product market fit. It has a group of customers that is that are available to tell you how to improve the product, improve the company. And you can either, you know, double down on what's already working or you can, you know, build upon um, the product to move up. There's so many different things when you buy a company, it has an existing customer base, but the main thing that you're really looking for um, when you buy a company is, you know, does this company have, you know, a group of happy customers and can you build on top of that? So that's that's really the reason why buying companies has become so attractive is it's a way to kind of fast track, um, you know, your way to building a successful business, essentially. Yeah. So so let's say someone was looking to buy company um, as opposed to starting from zero. What, what would you, as you, the buyer, what are some of the things you would look at original, you know, top three, five things you would say, all right, we need to, we need to do this. Like maybe we need to speak to their customers first, right? Figure out what are they, what do they really think about their product? Are they using it for real? <laughs> Stuff yeah. like that. Well, um, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, for me, it's talking with the founder, you know, that's also that kind of, ties into why I started microquires where you get to speak directly to founders. For me, it's understanding again, why do you want to sell it? Um, are you a good person? Can I see myself? Cause if you're going to do a transaction with a person, you want to know that they're, you know, they're ethical. Obviously, you know, you want to have an attorney really make sure that, you know, everything is in order and things are going to go, um, the agreed way, but yeah, just hopping on the phone with someone and just, discussing the business, getting their thoughts on it. Why are they looking to sell? That's number one for me. Um, because if you can't see yourself really, you know, working with this person, at least for, you know, 30, 60 days, it's going to be hard to get a deal done. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a great quote by Warren Buffett. Um, it's really hard to do a good deal with a bad person. So that's probably <laughs> the first thing for me. Uh, yeah, it's, it's true. Um, and then two, you know, looking at customer reviews, you know, what are customers saying about the product? Um, you know, are there a group of happy customers that you can talk to? You want to be careful there because you don't want to spook customers and say, hey, we're looking at buying the business. And then the next thing you know, they have a group of customers saying, like, is everything going to change? Are you going to raise prices? All that stuff. So, you know, looking at customer reviews. Um, and then three, just making sure the business is um, the numbers that the founder is sharing with you are accurate. So. Mm -hmm. You know, that could be asking for, you know, read access into their Stripe account or Trump Mobile or Barometrics or ProfitWell, um, just so you can kind of verify, is this business really in the range of revenue that you're stating it is? Um, those are probably the top three. Talking with the founder, um, looking for happy customers, 
Um, and then obviously, you know, doing your due diligence on financials and even the code base and the customers can count as customer reviews as well. Yeah, great points. I, I'm, I, I, uh, I think those are definitely the, probably the most important things when it comes to figuring out whether or not you actually want to pull the trigger and buy that business. Because if any one of those, I guess, is you're not sure about, then maybe, maybe that deal isn't for you at that point. Yeah, and one of my favorite, I don't know whose quote this is, but uh, the second best deal you can do is no deal. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know, when you find a business, it's really easy to fall in love with it right away. But you want to make sure that, you know, you're in alignment with the founder in terms of, you know, what's going to make sense and, and getting a deal done, whether that's pricing terms, um, you know, what is post-acquisition transition look like? Are they going to be around for help in the code base? If something happens, will they... It, are things documented and then yeah happy customers and then just you know doing due diligence on all the major items of the business absolutely so i want to i want to also con continue on with m a talk but move into 2021 this year um i have a feeling that this year is probably going to heat up a bit at least in the tech space with acquisitions uh, before we move on uh, i'll just say that i recently saw according to docsend that year over year investing activity pitch decks being sent and opened and looked at and stuff was up 21% from tw in 2020 from 2019. Oh, damn. Um, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> market, market's heating up. Yep. So I'm curious uh, with that data now in front of you, what, what some of your thoughts on that? Considering you're running micro acquire, I'm sure you have your own data as well. Yeah, you know, I've definitely seen acquisitions speed up to a point that I did not expect. Like, really good deals on MicroQuire will typically have multiple LOIs out within 30 days. It's it's pretty fascinating to see just the amount of interest in people looking to either build or buy companies. I think um, one thing that COVID has done is really just accelerated any sort of technology company's adoption. So if you're thriving today, um, those businesses are highly desirable by both investors, acquirers, and everybody in between, both in the public markets and in the private markets. Um, so definitely not surprised. Um, I think that trend will only continue. Um, one, one trend I think we'll start to see a little bit more of, though, is, you know, there's, there's a large group of people that are starting to realize that you know, building a business to, you know, a couple hundred thousand, let's call it a million a year and be profitable, not have any invest investors involved, be able to, you know, take control of your time, do what you want, own the business in its entirety. I think that's a trend in tech that's going to become a little bit more prolific because I could go on a rant and so I'll just keep it short, but, you know, with tools like AWS, Stripe, all the no code um, tools that are being brought out to the market, it's almost democratizing the ability to build a startup, which I think is really, really interesting. When that happens, more startups become creative than ever. And I think everyone's going to start carving out their own little niches on the internet. We're going to see a lot of, you know, amazing micro businesses that, you know, serve a very, very specific set of customers really well. And they don't have investors, they own the whole business and yep. they run it from wherever they want. Kind of like your business in a way. Exactly. exactly. And the craziest part about what you're saying is we literally talked about something very similar in our last episode of uh, Techie Bytes with 
uh, Jason Bade, the uh, co-founder and CEO at Pico, uh, which has built a, a CRM business for digital media companies to essentially mo- switch from being so focused on CMSs and have the CRM be the element of their business so they can basically build on top of a, a CRM as opposed to being tied to a CMS. And they handle all the payments and things like that through Stripe. And um, what you were saying about building out a majority, uh, building out a lot of micro businesses is exactly what we were talking about. And and how there's going to be a lot, I'm sure, people unbundling of tech, right? And consultants and lawyers and a lot of people who can use content and other things to build audiences and build micro businesses that they own. So I think that's, I do think that that is the future, um, especially in the knowledge economy, for sure. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think more and more people are, you know, everyone kind of wants to start their own business. It's really hard to do. So definitely yeah. want to put that <laughs> disclaimer out there. Even, you know, I struggle with, with things all the time, um, you know, even just from like a mental perspective. It's hard to start a business is the point there. But more and more people are going to um, have the opportunity to at least take the swing. You know, 10 years ago, you had to be you know, an engineer or you need to have, you know, a team of engineers right out of the gates. And today it's just so easy to test different ideas and to, you know, build products, um, again, using no code platforms where you don't have to be an engineer. So people that are marketers or they have a sales background or they just have a ton of hustle, like these types of individuals have a way better shot at building a company, in my opinion, than they did say 10 or 20 years ago. 20 years ago, we didn't have anything. We didn't have you know, we were on physical servers, <laughs> right? Um, you know, like it, it's gotten a lot easier for entrepreneurs, um, you know, online. So it's an exciting time for sure. Absolutely. So I, I'm curious if you were looking to acquire a company right now, what would you be looking at? What kind of businesses um, would uh, are appealing to you right now? What What's hot to you? Yeah, I've actually, so I've bought a few businesses, um, Nothing big, but uh, my favorite example is probably ChimpCharge. It's a simple invoicing tool. I bought it when it had like 5000 in annual current revenue. Um, the reason I liked it is it's super simple. Um, it's niche to a specific audience, which is freelancers. I think that like as more and more people work for themselves as freelancers, that's a growing market. Yeah. And I loved its simplicity. So simple, large addressable market, I think that's a winning formula. And I acquired that company, um, already 10X the revenue. Those are businesses that I like, just really boring. They are simple products and they have really large addressable markets. So those are the three things that really get me excited. Um, but other, other markets, you know, B2B SaaS is definitely, that's kind of like, everyone's looking for, you know, B2B SaaS, you know, 500 and EBITDA, 500K and EBITDA or above. Um, in terms of opportunity, I see so much of those examples on MicroQuire, um, specifically to the one I just mentioned. So, for example, really good products, missing sales and marketing um, expertise, Though if someone can figure out a way to roll up a bunch of the micro SaaS companies, I think that's going to be a, a winning opportunity. So to double answer your question, um, if 
if I was looking to buy businesses, I'd be looking at, you know, simple niche SaaS applications that are lacking sales and marketing. And then seeing if I can buy a few of those that, you know, maybe serve a similar customer like freelancers, as an example. What do you think about it? Like you were just talking about rolling them up, buying a few of them. And then they're already built, so you, you'd have a kind of skeleton engineering crew maybe or so, just, you know, assuming they're, they're fairly stable. And then you just have a, a, a marketing and sales team that manages for all the accounts. Um, could be a nice little business if you, if you can make it work. Yeah, I think you got to understand what your distribution strategy is going to be. Like the main distribution strategy for Gym Charge, again, when I bought it, it just had a handful of customers. It was really marketed towards kind of everybody. So I, I narrowed down the messaging to just freelancers, launched it on product time, got it into the Stripe store as an official Stripe partner, which is where most of um, new customers come from. And then I built like a small viral loop. So that's the distribution on it and not too many product changes are needed. Um, so it, it just depends if you were going to roll up a few, I think it's pretty critical that you make them. And th th I've seen, you know, people do a roll up where not necessarily a roll up, but build a portfolio where the companies are completely independent. That can work fantastic. But I really like the approach where if you're serving one customer, every company that you acquire, you essentially increase the value of that company almost immediately because you have this existing audience or this existing customer base right. from your other companies that you, you can, can sell It's like an upsell at that point. You know, you can add it's it on. As, yeah. yeah. And you build this almost like a community around the products as well. Like if I was to buy another product, it would definitely be for freelancers because I already have a product that can serve freelancers. Exactly. So, you know, if, or you can do the same, you know, another thread of thinking would be, you know, rolling up a set of Slack applications or a set of Stripe applications or um, Shopify apps. Like those are, are really, really big opportunities in my head. So if I, you know, was like, all right, everything good on Microfire is mine. Um, that's probably what I do. Do you worry at all in terms of a uh, deal flow? Like how, how are you how are you getting the word out about Microfire out to to people right now? Um, just a, a ton of hustle is, is the short answer. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, really I've just seen a lot of success with just brand and connecting with people and just trying to be really helpful. I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but the authenticity is, is help, the word of the, uh, the word of the year. <laughs> <laughs> like I try to help entrepreneurs as much as my calendar will you know, permit and those entrepreneurs will hear of other entrepreneurs looking to sell a business and then I'm referred over to them. So it's, it's a big referral type business because it's such an important part of an entrepreneur's journey that you want to make sure that you're working with the right marketplace, the right broker, the right banker. So, um, a lot of it's just been my personal network, me helping entrepreneurs and, receiving referrals, which is the biggest form of compliment I can get from another entrepreneur. Um, but not, nothing like secret. There's no like secret strategy, just really, you know, writing about, you know, acquisitions, um, really putting the founder first. Um, and then I don't know, I post stuff on Twitter and LinkedIn from time to time. I should probably do a better job figuring out how to get my deal flow, but 
Uh, most of it is uh, referrals. Nice. I mean, word of mouth is always good. I know. I noticed I, when I was on the MicroAcquire site that you have a, a lot of really good content on, on a blog area, um, super helpful information. Started reading some of it, and I don't know if you wrote that or or, or, or you had someone put it together, but it's it's really good stuff. And I, I think more content like that certainly is is an organic way to drive, uh, you know, because the people who are looking for that information are likely people who are maybe at some point going to sell a business and micro acquire would be an opportunity, uh, you know, for them to, to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. And you know, there's just not a lot, not a lot of content out there about how to sell a business. You know, it's what always been very hush hush, very secretive. <laughs> it really is. And it shouldn't be. And that's one thing I'm trying to change where, you know, what is a letter of intent? Can mm -hmm. I even negotiate that? What does it mean? What are the main stages um, legally that I go through when I'm acquired? What's the difference between a strategic acquirer and a financial um, acquirer? Like, why are they different? Like, how do they value the businesses? Just stuff like that. I just also enjoy writing. So I do try and write a bunch. I just, I put together like a collection of um, eBooks recently that I put on Gumroad for free. Um, I'll share that link with you after Sure, this. yeah, absolutely. But, um, yeah, I think just, you know, just empowering founders to really kind of, you know, shift the power table, if you will, where I think this, you know, the acquisition market traditionally has just been, you know, really driven by buyers and brokers that kind of have all the information of the rules of the game, so to speak. And so I, I've been just trying to do my best to help educate founders of this is the best time to sell. This is kind of what you need to do to prepare for an acquisition. This is what the legal stages are um, democratizing uh, mergers and acquisitions. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and my ultimate goal is, um, you know, I want to make a thousand millionaires through my group bar. That's, that's my goal. That's the, that, that is an amazing goal. And I really uh, wish you the best with that. Cause I would love for you, if you should keep like a leaderboard just, you know, one, two, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of do. I find out when deals, so I don't actually see a deal from end to end. So for example, I'm not like commissioned and I'm not like there at the very end. I do a lot to help the founders completely free, but uh, you know, just the other day I was out to lunch and I got an email and I was like, Hey, just sold my company. What's your address? I want to send you something. And it's like the coolest job ever. It makes you, you That's know, awesome. feel good. Yeah, so that's that's my goal. I want to help um, a thousand entrepreneurs exit their businesses. Love it. Well, I mean, Andrew, we made it through all the way. Now we're up to the lightning round. I don't know if you're ready for it. But... I'm not. Can we do it next week? <laughs> Unfortunately, not. But when but if you change your mind and you are ready for it right now, you can let me know. We'll get started. Let's go, man. <laughs> all right, here we go. All right, which celebrity? Would you most like to have a meal with? Christopher Walken. Ooh, I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like to do on a rainy day? Sleep. Yeah, I feel like rainy days are good for sleeping for sure. Do you prefer uh, texting or talking? Talking, for sure. Cool, me too. Mac or PC? PC, until right. I die. Hardcore. Really? Are you a gamer? 
No, I, the way I, my analogy for it is Macs are way more beautiful. I don't want to offend <laughs> anybody, but it's like, it's like speaking French. It's a beautiful language. PCs to me is like English. I grew up speaking English. I don't need to learn a new language. Trust me. I get at my last company, I was, you know, out of a hundred people, three of us had PCs. So jeez, jeez. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of the dinosaurs. Yeah. All right, last one. This one should be good. Current number of unanswered emails in your inbox? Zero. Well, oh, probably a few because nice. we've been on this podcast with you. But I'm an <laughs> inbox zero fanatic. So An aficionado, zero. a fanatic. Nice. I wish I wish I I wish I could. I used to I used to do it really well, but lately not so much. I the other day I just kind of gave up and I archived everything, and then it was good for about I don't know that five minutes. <laughs> You know, you're the judge of your own inbox. If it doesn't deserve to be there, then it's gone. True. All right. Well, a Andrew, it's been great having you on. I think we learned a lot on this episode, especially when it comes to selling and buying businesses and how your work is actually really going to, like I said before, democratize the whole process, hopefully, and make it a lot more transparent like we were talking about, which is always better in the long run. Um, so if anyone who's listening right now wants to get in touch with you, uh, learn more about MicroAcquire or, or, or anything else that you're doing, what's the best way for them to uh, to do that? Yeah, you can uh, reach me on my cell. Just, uh, just dial 911 and they'll <laughs> direct your call straight to me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, Andrew at MicroAcquire.com is my email. Um, you can follow me at Twitter at agazdecky if you can spell that correctly. Um, or add me on LinkedIn. Um, if you do shoot me an email, I, I will respond. I'd be more than happy to, to help in any way you can. Awesome. Well, Andrew, thanks again for being on. Uh, look forward to keeping in touch and hope you have a great rest of your day. You as well. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting our podcast at anchor.fm slash best techie and or by leaving a rating and review on itunes both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated so thank you until next time we'll see you and remember remember take care of your computers <laughs>